Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed of over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this on Sunday, June 26, 2022. Brian, the very last episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi, I aired this past Wednesday, and Ewan McGregor and Kathleen Kennedy have both said they wouldn't mind a season two of this show, and we'll talk more in depth about that as well as the uh, the Obi-Wan limited series in the second half of today's show. But given the very careful job they did of, of threading the needle, I wonder how they'd go back to the well a second time. Well, he could, there's nothing wrong with him leaving the planet, helping people. As we are establishing now, he left the cave and mm-hmm. now he's going to become part of the community. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know they could have done what they did with this one. It surprised the hell out of me. So, I mean, I, I, I'm very looking forward to to see what the Brain Trust puts in mind for the next one. We'll talk more at length about that second half of today's show. But first, the news. And news portion of this week's episode of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. On the, I want to say, actually, it was the episode before last, Brian, when you you were doing your very thorough look back at this year's Star Wars celebration, the the full three days at uh, the Anaheim Four days. (laughs) Can't even think about it. Um, and, but we were kind of slippy slidy on some dates for things. And I, I wanted to be sure that okay, when cool. we revisited that, because I, I think on the last show, we were talking about Patty Jenkins' Rogue One project, where something that she was very, very passionate about because her dad was a flyer. And and it was just like, okay, so when's that going to happen now? Because they, they announced that with great huzzahs. Yeah, good fanfare uh, that it was going to be, you know, like the new thing of, um, and and then wasn't there one done by the woman who was going to do, who did uh, Russian Dolls? Oh, God, that's yeah. right. Uh, is, that's, is that Acolyte? I'm oh, is that the Acolyte? Okay. Not sure. But just to be clear here, folks, we now have a time frame for Patty Jenkins' Rogue One. Unfortunately, it's been pushed off by more than five years. Uh, It's now scheduled for December of of 2027. It looks like now the very first theatrical Star Wars film that we're going to get is going to be Taika Waititi's. But even that's not due till December of uh, 2025. So that's, that's more than three years out. But on the upside, we are getting a crazy amount of Star Wars stuff over on Disney+. I mean, again, for those of us who were, it's like, oh, I just got the last episode of Obi-Wan. Not to fret, the Star Wars uh, Lego Summer Vacation yeah. uh, <laughs> with Weird, Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> now, do you know, is he going to do a song too? Or um, is he just uh, a voice? You know, that's an interesting question. And I do not have an answer for that, but I will. I will. Because it would be hilarious if he did like a Star Wars thing, you know. I mean, the best, the oh, best Star yeah. Wars song, Bill Murray, you know. The Lounge Lizard, nothing but Star Wars. Did you ever see his, I want to say his Phantom Menace song, the American Pie riff? Oh, yeah, or Yoda with Lola. Yoda, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah Yoda. Yeah, so he's he's a big um, Star Wars guy, so yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, he's definitely, definitely in this space. But yeah, that's dropping on August 5th. Then on the other hand, Star Wars Endor, which we're going to talk about this in the second half, but you, you have some some theories you want to share about the number of episodes that are being done with these things. But Star Wars Endor, that's 12 episodes. Yeah, or 24, basically. I mean, they, they plan 24. So, um, yeah, I just, I've noticed that with the, when The Mandalorian started, it was six episodes. Mm-hmm. And I accepted that because I watch a lot of British shows, you know, Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, the the mysteries, etc. And a lot of the British 
series, they're either six-hour episodes or three-hour-and-a-half episodes. And I think that's might have been what they got, that, that might have been what the Star Wars and the MCU decided to do. But I don't know if I like that that's, you know, that's written in stone for them. But of course, like you just said, Andor, 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. going to show that things may change if if they have to. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do, uh, Kevin Feige, a lot of it has to do, do with budget and mm-hmm. how WandaVision was nine episodes, but they were shorter mm-hmm. episodes. So mm-hmm. that was still in the budget of like, if there was six hour long episodes. So we'll see. I mean, they can do whatever they want to do, but yeah. The thing about Disney Plus is we are two and a half years in at this point. I mean, they are, it's like, okay, people responded to this. They didn't respond to that. And I think in a weird sort of way, Star Wars Andor, it is kind of an experiment. Again, this is Tony Gilroy doing this one. And, you know, the, he's flat out said that, you know, the conceit of this show, which, as you mentioned, was developed as a two-season show, was that it starts five years out from the events of Rogue One and then systematically marches right up until Rogue One. And what was the, the elevator pitch? I know it involved Mission Impossible. Was it the no. Titanic meets Mission Impossible yeah. or it was something to that effect? I think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing when you, you drill down into the press releases for uh, Andor. They say 12 episodes have been, seen, uh, you know, have been shot for season one. And they are now in development for season two, which is a polite way of saying, let's see how people respond to the 12-episode show. Yeah. If they like it, okay, we'll do the other 12. If, on the other hand, they're not huge fans, maybe six, possibly. Well, I have another fly in the ointment. We were talking about the Mm -hmm. um, the Acolyte, and um, Mm -hmm. it seems like that's going to be eight episodes. Uh, here we go. <laughs> They're keeping us on our toes. And that Brian. was, her name is uh, Leslie Headland, who's doing that. There we go. And it also says she's going to do another Star Wars project, too. Later on, it doesn't say what year it is. This is all I get mm-hmm. from Internet Movie Database. But it says mm-hmm. that, you know, the al- Alkalite is there. But mm-hmm. then also there's something later it says untitled. Star Wars project, Disney Plus Star Wars project. So maybe they liked what the Alkalite has been so far, so they're giving her something else to do. Okay. That's what's interesting about Kathleen. People will come in. I mean, for example, the Rogue One pitch. Yeah. Where did the, that star plans come from? And backing into that story. Well, I'm sure we're going to hear something at D23, too. Or, or maybe, hopefully, there'll be something at Comic-Con, but I definitely at D23, right? Speaking of which, did you, and again, uh, forgive me, we're, we're moving into Marvel Us Disney territory here, but did you see where Marvel Studios is actually going back to Hall H? Oh, are they going to do something? The giveaway evidently was those light pole banners they have all over oh. town in San Diego, out ahead of Comic-Con. A number of them have She-Hulk on them, and so have got a number oh. of folks who have been to the previous shows are like, okay, the only other time... That's happened and is when Marvel's doing a giant Hall H show. And sure enough, five days later, the news dropped that, yep, we're coming back. Anyway, and speaking of also of coming back, uh, we get season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch. That starts on September 28th of this year. And again, just to, to keep throwing us off here, Brian, <laughs> <I know. laughs> that, that's 16 episodes. Well, the first uh. the first season was 16, too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's Filonian. Maybe it's their uh, magic number for animation. I mean, the, the everything is weird um, that has changed in... Remember when you made an animated show, you wanted to get, at least get 90 so you could put it into... You know, so, and and even a sitcom, so you can put it into syndication. Nowadays, you're lucky if if Netflix goes beyond three seasons, because they have this thing that people won't watch more than fifty episodes of something. Yeah, it's definitely algorithm based yeah. programming decision making. But we grew up in the age where it's like the Munsters did like forty shows a season. Yeah, Star Trek did thirty two. 
So yeah. three seasons, we got 90 shows. But what if they did 22 episodes? We may not even have Star Trek because it wouldn't be enough for syndication. As it was explained to me in the late 80s, early 90s, the magic number for syndication was 65. Okay. That then got you, I want to say you could strip the show, run it five nights a week and for 13 weeks in a row without a single rerun. And that was the magic number. Okay. But we're in a different world now, a binging world. And, you know, and you're right. You know, they, evidently you, you get past 50 and it's like, okay, you're asking a lot of me. <laughs> I have things to do. Anyway, uh, getting back to the, the Star Wars limited series, that, which again, it seems to be where the franchise is living for a number of years leading up to our Taika Waititi film of 2023. We have, excuse me, 2024. Be clear about that. Season three of Mandalorian uh, is supposed to drop in uh, February of 2023 with the first season of Star Wars Ahsoka debuting later the same year. They're being a little vague at this point about when Ahsoka drops. Less certain is uh, the big date for Star Wars Skeleton Crew. Uh, you talked about hearing about this coming out of Celebration. Brian, this is the project with Jude Law attached yeah. to it, right? Yeah, Jude Law and um, was it Jake Kasdan who was doing it? I want to say yes, and they have mentioned that there are four kids in the cast, but this is not a kid's, kids show. Yeah, yeah, it's probably like a Stand By Me meets Star Wars, probably something like that. Could be. All right, but again, the, all we have on regard to that show is late 2023, so maybe in the Bad Batch slot for next year. And then beyond that, we have Rangers of the Republic, the Acolyte, Lando, and a droid story. And all of these are to, <laughs> to be determined as to, to, to when they're going to drop. Uh, by the way, um, Skeleton Crew is John Watts, not Jake's Kasdan. He's on something else. Ah, I just okay. don't want I don't want people to tweet us and say that we're don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I hear that four and five times before breakfast. It's, <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, also worth noting, though, from Lucasfilm is next year, this long delayed, much postponed project, Indiana Jones 5 is going to bow on June 30th, 2023. So a year from this week, we'll finally get to see Indy again. And you saw the news this week in regard to John Williams, right? That he is planning on retiring after yeah. he scores Indy Five. Yeah, I don't even—I don't even know what retiring is because he's already doing um, a couple days at the Hollywood Bowl this summer, and then he's mm -hmm. going to do something with the Pacific Symphony too. So his retirement is different than most people's retirement. <laughs> oh, it, it's so funny you say that, because I remember going to see him, when, I want to say it was 1980 to 1993, he took over for Arthur Fiedler as oh, the director yeah. of the Boston Pops. And, and again, it was the whole notion of, you know, wow, this guy's everywhere. And I'm, he had kind of a, a problematic history with with the Boston Pops. He, he was used to the session musicians he'd worked with out in L.A. who were absolutely total pros. And I, I mean this in the kindest possible way. And I'm from New England. You know, <laughs> I grew up in Massachusetts, so I'm allowed to say this about the musicians <laughs> At the Boston Pops, but these were a lot of union guys who had been there forever, and it's like, eh, what are you gonna do to me? Yeah. And Williams, in the middle of his run with the Boston Pops, actually threatened to walk away because of discipline issues. Guys weren't rehearsing and showing up late, and it just it, he thought it was very unprofessional. But anyway, I, I, getting back to uh, John story, Williams. Yep, he announces his upcoming retirement through. Uh, interview he did with the AP Wire Service. And, and as part of this interview, he said, at the moment, I'm working on Indiana Jones 5, which Harrison Ford, who's quite a bit younger than I am, I think announced that this will be his last film. So I thought, well, if Harrison can do it, maybe I can do it too. <laughs> You're a contemporary of mine. So you grew up watching television and seeing the name Johnny Johnny Williams. Williams. Yeah. Johnny um, Williams. The first thing I think I remember was... Not Fantastic Voyage. What was the mm. the submarine show? Oh, a Voyage to the Bottom of Voyage the Sea. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I, I think he did that, didn't he? 
Well, I know he did Irwin Allen's Lost in Space, likewise Time Tunnel and Land of the Giants. But I had no idea. I was doing the research today. It's like he wrote the music or some of the music for the pilot of Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I didn't know that. Is he? Did he write the theme? Is the theme his? I don't know. I mean, you got to remember that, especially when you worked in television back in the day, you know, you were kind of a journeyman. It's like, okay, what do you need? Oh, I see. On the other hand, his career in television got off to, you know, kind of a big controversial start. I mean, you know the story about the the Heidi TV movers from 68, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard that. It was a big programming event that NBC had scheduled for a Sunday night. But they have gone to great expense to promote the fact that this thing will start at 7 o'clock East Coast time. Again, to tune in to watch the TV movie version of Heidi. But there's a football game going on uh, between the... The Super Bowl. Wasn't it the Super Bowl? Nah, I think the Super Bowl is January. Oh, okay, Um, okay, okay. Okay, so this is November of 68. So... uh, it's between the Jets and the Oakland Raiders, and at this point, the Jets are ahead. But you know, minute they bang, they they cut away to Heidi uh, for the East Coast feed, and then inside of a minute, the Oakland Raiders score twice and pull ahead forty-two to thirty-two. And football fans, you know, especially the New York market, are losing their minds because, like, what happened? <laughs> especially because they put a crawl at the bottom of the movie to update the score. Oh, by the way, Oakland won, you know, 42 to 32. So for a time, John didn't include that <laughs> on, on his, his resume. his resume for a while. Yeah. Oh, so. actually, it was Time Tunnel that I was thinking of, not Voice at go. the Bottom of the Sea. But he's he's done so much music. I mean, we know him for, of course, mm-hmm. Jaws, which basically blew up his... But he was doing um, a lot of stuff before that. He was. He was. In fact, I, I was surprised in doing the research today that his very first Academy Award was for Norman Jewison's film version of Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, he adapted the music for that? Yeah, from the Broadway musical. Oh, okay. and But but then, you know, again, he has this working relationship with Irwin Allen. And so Irwin taps him when he does not just the Poseidon Adventure, but also the Towering Inferno. Oh, and, right. And then for this brief window of time, John is the master of disaster because Universal then hires him to do the score for Earthquake. Earthquake. So, yeah. But in that same window of time, he does the score for Spielberg's first real theatrical release, Sugarland Express, which doesn't necessarily do the numbers. But on the other hand, Spielberg so enjoyed working with Williams that when uh, that very same year he gets tapped to, okay, we want to do a movie version of Jaws. And that's the other thing. I had no idea, Brian, that, that things moved this quickly on Jaws that the book, the hardcover, is published in February of 1974. And by May, of, the first week of May of that same year, they're in Martha's Vineyard shooting the, the very first scenes for the film version of Jaws. It's not even that a question at that point that it had become a beach read. It sold you know, like 5 million copies eventually. And, and in fact, in a lot of ways, Universal felt, you know, hey, we made a, a great preemptive buy there. Because by the time the movie came out the following summer, uh, I want to say June 75, is that right? Yeah, it came out in June 75. Yeah, but it, it's this best-selling book that everybody's read, and it's like, ooh, I want to see the movie version of this. And, and a lot of what made that movie so memorable was Williams' score. Yeah. He did all of this work in 74. We had Towering Inferno come out in 74. Earthquake came out in 74. Sugarland Express came out in 74. He gets tapped to work on Jaws in 74. This is the very same year that he loses his wife of 22 years. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And evidently, this is how he dealt with the grief. He threw himself into work. They had three kids, uh, he and his wife, Barbara. And in fact... Uh, William's son, Joseph, was the lead singer for the group Toto. Oh, really? 
Yeah. I and just, I love I, Toto. Uh, anyway, the, just Spielberg was so impressed, you know, with, with what John had done for Sugar Land Express and Jaws that when George Lucas is talking about this riff on Buck Rogers that he wants to make, Steven's like, oh, you got to work with John Wayne. You know, he'll, he'll do a great job for you. And sure enough, Star Wars A New Hope has that amazing score that continues on today. And then you were mentioning at the top of the show your love of 1941. But Yeah, the, the, the March of 1941 has got to be one of the best. And I've heard <laughs> it done by a college band one time, and it mm-hmm. just blew me away. But I got a, a cute little story about Jaws. Jaws is my second favorite movie and I and I've mm-hmm. seen it so many times and if I if somebody asks me what a movie's about I say well there's this movie this movie and I always add Jaws but anyway mm-hmm. I would want my kids to see it when they were young mm-hmm. because I thought you know it'd be okay but for some reason mm-hmm. every time I wouldn't tell them I'm playing the movie mm-hmm. I'd start up the movie and then you'd hear da dunt Mm-hmm. and they both run screaming out of the the room they didn't even know what it was they just knew that that did not warrant something good was coming and mm-hmm. it wasn't until they were in their teens that i got them i went to a movie theater and showed it to them and um of course they share my love for jaws as well but that theme just the dun 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 not even knowing what movie it was mm-hmm. they knew this is not good I'm out of here. And they were like maybe six and uh, four or something. But I think you've hit upon something that fascinates me about, about the scores that John Williams writes for movies. Because it, it, it's literally tell me how to feel. Oh, yeah. You hear those notes from, from Jaws. You get, get a dread. You know, on the other hand, the... From, from, uh, oh, God. Waters. You know, wonder or... or, or just think about Superman, oh, when, man. you know, in 1978, and what a hodgepodge of a movie that was. But that score, that majestic, heroic yeah. score, was the glue that held that movie together. Even the song in the middle, you know, "Can You Read My Mind." Can you remember? It was great. Yeah. It was like it was wonderful until you grew up and going, really. <laughs> Yeah. And when you were a, when you were a fifteen year old, okay, Superman's mm-hmm. in love. This is what mm-hmm. would happen, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. John Williams has really provided the soundtrack of my life. I mean, the Raiders oh, yeah. March or the ET theme, or for, or for that matter, when you think about the hit giant giant scene from space size hits, you know, things like Home Alone or Jurassic Park or or the Harry Potter series, where the so much. Of what made the, those movies work, you know. Well, one of my reliant. favorite scores from, um, well, actually, Alfred Hitchcock, of course, mm-hmm. W- mm-hmm. used in all his films Bernard Herrmann, mm-hmm. and I guess they had a falling out. So, Hitchcock's last film, Family Plot, Williams did the score for that with mm-hmm. harpsichord, of course, and mm-hmm. it was it was great. But I remember the one I bought and I wore out mm-hmm. was. Brian De Palma's The Fury, uh, yes. which was basically a Bernard mm-hmm. Herman score. Mm-hmm. And it freaked me out to the, I couldn't stop listening to it. That and The Omen that year were mm-hmm. um, the two that I just, I wore out the records. And it fit so well into the movie, too, just mm-hmm. like it fit into Jaws. I mean, a lot of people, my wife, who is a classical violinist, she mm-hmm. will say, oh, John Williams got that from Ravel, or or he took that from Stravinsky, or or mm-hmm. whatever. And yeah, you can find the original pieces that he kind of took from. But it's just like marrying. It's just like making a variation of something or a cover, mm-hmm. and he fits it perfectly in the movies. He, you mm-hmm. know, all his soundtracks. I mean, if they don't have a theme. They have a something that goes through the m- movie that that just takes you through the movie. So I mean, it's something at the beginning and then it takes you out at the end. And very, very true. So, just in case you folks are wondering, John has been nominated for fifty-two Academy Awards, and as we mentioned, he took one home for Fiddler, and then uh, had over dear Lord the 
eight, seven decades he's been writing music for film and television. He took up four more. And there's stuff that maybe you don't know he wrote. Like, for example, theme for the Today Show, likewise NBC uh, Evening News and even Meet the Press, that he wrote a, uh, a piece of suite of music for NBC called The Mission that they've been using ever since they commissioned it in 1985. And, and, and the Olympic, think, the uh, yes. 84 Olympics too. Yeah, yeah. So he turned 90 this year. And as you mentioned, John seems to have a, a, <laughs> a very different idea of how one relaxes in his 90s. Are, are you going to go to the bowl to catch any of the concerts? Yeah, I'm going to, um, the, the, it's great because he used to do the whole concert, the you know, mm-hmm. even before and after intermission. Now David mm-hmm. Newman, does like a master class. He'll do um he'll talk about other movies and other mm-hmm. uh, other composers and stuff including his uncles and his mm-hmm. his cousin course, and yeah, and Lionel. his yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it really is great listening to him do and then John comes out and yeah, there are lightsabers galore. The whole Hollywood mm-hmm. Bowl is filled with lightsabers. And when they started playing the Imperial March, they mm-hmm. just, those sabers are moving. And it is, it's really great. I've seen him at the Hollywood Bowl probably about 10 times. Mm-hmm. And I've heard my favorite themes of his played, including Schindler's List with um, uh, Isaac Perlman played. Oh, and, you're um, killing me. No, it was, it was really great. And, just things that you don't think that that he did. He'll play like oh, he he got nominated for this one too. Um, the Angela's Ashes, which oh. is one of the most depressing films you've ever seen in your life, mm-hmm. and he does that. He just does these. He'll just sneak in these things that people are going, "What's that from?" Mm-hmm. But that's where when I um, discovered the the Cowboys, even though I had seen the Cowboys before, I never knew that he did that. That's 72, right? Yeah. The John Wayne. The I John know. Wayne, yeah. So I'm looking at what the ones he won here. He won for mm-hmm. Jaws. Right. And he won for um, Star Wars. And he won for E.T. Wow, that's quite the run. Which I would say are five of the best soundtracks ever written. Mm-hmm. Or four mm-hmm. of them. It kind of makes me sad that he's stepping away, but after kind of seven decades, 90 years... You know, uh, old uh, the man definitely deserves a break. And speaking of breaks, when we get back from this break, Brian and I are going to talk about episode six of Obi-Wan Kenobi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else we should have mentioned, Mr. Williams, in addition to obviously working on uh, all of the Star Wars films in in various uh, roles, and also, uh, didn't he also contribute a Obi-Wan theme to the Obi-Wan? Yeah, I guess Obi-Wan was the only one he never wrote a theme for. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Kathleen Kennedy say, listen, he's written every theme for every character, would mm-hmm. you write it? And he said, well, he said absolutely yes. And he premiered it at um, Star Wars Celebration. Really? Yeah. Okay. And with a full orchestra. And it was it was wonderful. It was great to hear. And now, of course, now it's familiar to us. But, um, and it works. It it. it it's more of a, what I think, it's more mm-hmm. of where the other themes, like the Imperial March and stuff, which basically is Vader's theme, mm-hmm. it's an action, 
where this is basically a, a almost a person's life. And when he did it, he just didn't do the theme. He did this whole suite, which you could almost see Obi-Wan's life going through this piece of music. It, w- it was more of a, a concerto or a, a, a piece than it was just a theme to something. Dang, I got to check this out. Speaking of Star Wars related things that Mr. Williams wrote, he also wrote a, the theme for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the, the land at Disneyland and at Disney's Hollywood oh, Studios in Florida. <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, Galaxy's Edge was in the news this week. Not for a great reason. There was a gentleman who posted over on Reddit. He had been to Disneyland Park, uh, evidently trying to experience Rise of the Resistance, the ride that you loved so much, yes. uh, Brian. But evidently, in one day, he was evac'd off of this thing three separate times. So they, he never got all the way through the ride. It would break down at one point so or another. No. Yeah. Was and this Disneyland or Disney World? I want to say Disneyland. Okay. And that, I, I guess, for me, has always been my, my one complaint about Rise of the Resistance. It is the most elaborate attraction with, you know, if you think about how many different ride systems actually are incorporated into this thing, it just reminds me of there's that great line from Star Trek, The Search for Spock. Where that they're stealing the Enterprise, and uh, I, I forget what is the name. Of, oh, the Excelsior is going to chase after them. Uh, and but it, it, it takes out on just outside of, of space dock, and I, I think at that point Scotty turns to Captain Kirk and hands him like three little parts, and it's like, what did you do? And it's like, well, you know, the more elaborate you make the plumbing, the easier it is to, to stop up the drain. And and that was the thing. I just, I feel like with this super deluxe elaborate attraction, it's just, there's so many things that have to work. And if it doesn't, one element doesn't work. The ride has to shut down. Well, it seems that they're getting more compli- complicated on all rides. Isn't Haggard's, um, isn't that roller coaster now half the thing it used to be? And can't we don't even have to talk about the the um, Bigfoot in the Himalayan ride. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Hagrid's, I think, is a, a different. Well, you know, I, but what's kind of interesting in both of these cases, you're talking about roller coasters with show scenes. Oh, right. Right. You talk with people in ops. It's like, well, even when the Eddie doesn't move or even when an animatronic breaks down on, on Hagrid. It's still a roller coaster. Still a roller coaster. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's like we can still get, you know, you, you still go fast. You still, you know, you still get thrilled. It just, the Yeti doesn't weigh it to you. know, actually, I wouldn't mind going into Ride Resistance and have it break down. And I would love to see how they're going to, like, push me out. I mean, those, those, um, the people who are part of the New Order, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I bet they stay in, in character. And they just, it's like they're putting you to prison. Move, move. Everybody stay yeah. in one line. Yeah. <laughs> that could be I, fun I, to, to that, see. I, that's <laughs> intriguing. Okay. I tell you what, if any of our listeners have actually gotten evac'd off of Rise of the Resistance, how do they do it? Is it the cast members who work are dressed as the First Order or <laughs> you get actual garden variety? <laughs> cast members are like, I'm sorry, didn't work. Get out. So, all right. But, but speaking of things that did work. Obi-Wan, final episode. Wow. I was worried about the dismount here, Brian, just because we already know what happens in the New Hope when Darth Vader and Obi-Wan get back together. First of all, when they're on the Death Star, uh, Obi-Wan does not call him Anakin. Obi-Wan calls him Darth. And, yeah. and that was always kind of a, well, wait a minute, you know, especially now that we know the prequels and we know the history of the characters and that sort of thing. Why would you called him Darth? And and of course, Episode Six handles that moment quite well, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. They they handle that moment. They handle the idea of why mm-hmm. Darth does not continue to to pursue him in a weird sort of way. Have you ever heard Seth MacFarlane's take on the Emperor over on Robot Chicken? Yes. Okay, so I kind of got that yeah. vibe, that <laughs> Seth MacFarlane vibe, you know, you know, coming off of this version of the Emperor. It's like, you know, we'll track him down to the ends of the earth. Like, well, wait a minute, are you working for me or even the Obi-Wan Kenobi hunting business? Yeah. 
Yeah, so that that kind of maybe that's where they got the idea. But mm-hmm. like you said, I was a little um, wary of the the dismount only because mm-hmm. I thought episode five was so full of everything, you mm-hmm. know, and that it could have been the end there too. Mm-hmm. But it continued, and the fight, the mm-hmm. as, as you see, uh, mm-hmm. Vader is still hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because of his robotic arms and stuff, mm-hmm. but Obi Wan was in perfect mm-hmm. shape. I mean, he was doing rolls, he was doing flips, he was doing the whole thing, mm-hmm. and Obi Wan was the better swordsman. He was. Mm-hmm. He still had. You could tell that this was still him being the master. What I love about the construction of these six episodes, I remember we had that protracted fight. Back on, um, you know, where the, the uh, Jedi Council is located. Corsican? There we go. Thank you. And you got to see, and, you know, and again, you were the one who talked about, you know, from the first episode going on, it's like, this is a broken man. This is a guy who, you know, that, that, you know in fact, that whole scene in the desert where the, the, the Jedi seeks him out and it's like, you know, go bury your, your lightsaber in the desert and walk away, you know, that, that you know, the battle's over. We lost. And just over the arc of the story, we, we, we watched, this is a guy who came back to himself. Well, you saw it in the way he, what, in the way he, like in episode five, he became the general again. Yes. Uh, you saw him, well, actually it was episode six when he left mm-hmm. the thing. You saw at the end where, what, mm-hmm. what remember he was living in the cave? Mm-hmm. He was living away from everybody. Now mm-hmm. he left the cave. Yep, and he and he's and he ends up where probably near Anchorhead where Mm -hmm. um, he was before or where Mm -hmm. he was in a New Hope, and Mm -hmm. it just it shows his confidence and Ewan McGregor did a a wonderful job. He did. There was a a a genuine arc. Arc, yeah. I mean, the when you saw him most broken was when they were on the mining planet. Mm-hmm. And the stormtroopers were asking him uh, why he called her Leia, mm-hmm. and he was devastated. Mm-hmm. You could see it in the way he was. He was more of a broken man, and he was ready to give up, but he mm-hmm. didn't. And he just said what basically was true. It, mm-hmm. She reminds me of her mother. Mm-hmm. And it was so devastating but that showed that he was continuing, and, and the way he would just talk back to Leia and and just was not the person that we saw in the prequels, and he just had to get there too. And know, it wasn't did. just he Leia did. who who got him out of the shell. It mm-hmm. was uh, Roken. It was mm-hmm. Talia. It was mm-hmm. it was the the fake Jedi. All mm-hmm. these people brought him back. It was almost like the Odyssey for him. He just met all these people that brought him back to where mm-hmm. he should be. And mm-hmm. and even at the very end where he and Owen, mm-hmm. and then the end. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. that we we told our our people out there what mm-hmm. hello there means. <laughs> yes, yes. Because some of them who didn't know, like us, would have mm-hmm. been very like, what the heck? <laughs> is this coming from what i loved were those sorts of buttons where it did i mean i get i get there are people who get upset at fans but for example the battle with vader and when he he cracks open oh my gosh we do in fact get to see hayden christensen and and i think again you sent me the note i hadn't seen the episode yet but it's like yep you you get to hear his voice but the way they would toggle, you know, especially toward the end, but they toggle back and forth. Back and forth was great yeah. because because that gave Obi Wan. I mean, he Aiden was or Anakin was there, mm-hmm. but then it was Vader, yeah. and yeah. he said at the very end, mm-hmm. "I'm out of here. We're mm-hmm. gone." But yeah. also, it was very mm-hmm. when Anakin said to him, "It mm-hmm. wasn't mm-hmm. your fault." Mm-hmm. I killed Anakin. Mm-hmm. Was that Anakin saying that? Because he was basically, <sighs> he was basically absolving Obi Wan mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. from all that happened. But at the same time, to look at the genuine heartbreak that you and you know put into Obi Wan at that moment, and goodbye to her, literally acknowledging my friend is gone, but still saying goodbye to Darth Vader. By the way, the other thing, and again, I know this is fan service, but the whole notion of when he he hit him with the lightsaber and in the head and caused the wound that we see finally in Return of the Jedi. I mean, it's just like, I get that there are people who are upset. You know, they feel like that sort of stuff is spoon feeding, but I, I like it when it all links. Oh, I like it too. I mean, of course I, because again, it's fan service, but it's also an Easter egg. And, and as true. you and Aaron talked about the MCU universe mm-hmm. and the Easter eggs, don't mm-hmm. we, isn't that what we live for? Don't we live for, um, you know, seeing a, a droid we've never seen before and, or we have seen before mm-hmm. and just, just saying, oh yeah, he was in episode three or, or that person was in Clone Wars or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the reference to that person and stuff like that's what we live for. That's why we love these shows. Mm, but, but okay now again <laughs> want to say here okay spoiler if you have not seen episode six yet there's a wonderful 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 spoiler in the very last seconds of this thing where we get uh liam neeson coming back as qui-gon and i love that they had showed obi-wan numerous times for this episode trying to reach out to qui-gon and after he's found himself again and after he's you know, gotten right. that, that wonderful moment with Owen. And just sort of riding off into the desert to, you know, start his new life and the whole notion of, why now? And it's like, well, you weren't ready to see, you know, and then the whole, okay, come on, we got a long way to go yet. But there's this wonderful quote from the Hollywood Reporter uh, interview that Liam Neeson did about, well, why'd you come back? And he said, well, I certainly didn't want anyone else playing Qui-Gon Jinn. And, you know, I wanted to show my respect to George Lucas and the, the mythical world that he created. And plus, Ewan McGregor is a pal. And I loved working with him back on Phantom Menace 25 years ago. And it's just, again, that's just such a thing you want to hear. And then the the last little bit of connective tissue where Leia is back on Alderaan and, and dressing, you know, because they're going to meet a dignitary and, and, you know, earlier on the ship, you know, as a, as a parting gift, Obi-Wan gives little Leia a holster. And, you know, Talia's and holster. And, and there we go, Talia's holster. Because you know that the hashtags in Talia mm-hmm. holster was mm-hmm. every person she saved. I didn't notice that, but that's a, that's a lovely touch. Because that's itself, what she I, would say. She said, when I learned, when I saw the, what happened to this one family, I yep. decided I didn't want that anymore. And she showed the hashtags, and she goes, every hashtag is a, for a person I saved. Uh, but I, I love the, the little exchange. And empty old yeah. is like, you're 10. I'm not giving you a monster. <laughs> you know, but just the, you know, the whole notion of you know, what Leia is dressing to, to visit the, the dignitary. I, uh, yeah. That was a great callback. That was a great callback, but also the the fact that, you know, she uses it for Lola, you know, or at least she uses it for Lola now because eventually she's going to get her blaster. But what I thought was strange too, it Mm -hmm. was almost a throwaway, is Mm -hmm. when Obi Wan finds Lola in his pocket Mm -hmm. and then he puts her on the dash of Mm -hmm. his ship. Mm -hmm. Lola is not used. Mm-hmm. At all. So it's almost like going against Chekhov's gun theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But did it have to be? It was, maybe it was Leia saying, I'm still with you. You're mm-hmm. with me. I'm with you if I give you Lola. So maybe that was like a motivation for him also. I still have to save um, Leia. I still have mm-hmm. to save Luke. If he beats me, he will find out. Mm-hmm. So maybe something like there was more to it. Also, I just wanted to point out that nowhere, mm-hmm. maybe on Internet Movie Database after it was out, but nowhere is Liam Neeson given a credit. Mm-hmm. So I guess they wanted to keep it such a secret that they didn't even tell the people who did the credits that he was in it, so it would not even attempt to leak out. That is cool. I did not notice that. And and of course, we're doing all this talk, but we haven't talked at all about Rima's art in this show. Or, or for that matter, where she 
get let down. I thought was when we first saw her um, mm-hmm. and the guy was um, bullying the water guy mm-hmm. and she pushes him out of the way. Mm-hmm. It was almost like her two worlds were coming together. Mm-hmm. It was almost like she was still an inquisitor. She was still in charge, but she was still helping too. Mm-hmm. And did you notice when she took off her hood, her mm-hmm. hair was not in that tight tightness. It was mm-hmm. like scraggly in the back like she was now a broken person mm-hmm. and she needed to justify what she was doing from the beginning mm-hmm. and i guess that justification was take out darth's kid mm-hmm. but i don't know i think if she told darth vader it was his kid that mm-hmm. probably would have been more of a a, a diss but that whole sequence between her mm-hmm. and baru and owen mm-hmm. oh my gosh they have no powers, yet they were throwing things at her like they had the force and throwing mm-hmm. them. And it was just, it was a remarkable, like, what people will do when, they, when they're when they put in a corner. We've seen Uncle Owen and Art Baru. We, you know, we've only seen them at a, a couple of moments in the series to date. And we've, you know, in New Hope, we saw, you know, Owen you know, grumble right, right. Baru about dealing with this kid. This is the first time we've actually seen them protect the child yes. and, and put themselves in harm's way. I know that's fan service, but at the same time, it's a great thing to add to the tapestry. That this epic saga that we know is the the, the the Skywalker saga. And I love that I think the very first time you and I talked about the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series, you just zeroed in on Riva and it's like there's a story there, and I'm gonna love to see what they do with this character going forward. Oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that she's gonna if if they do a, a series with her, which I I really hope they do. Mm. I'm thinking she's got to connect with um, Roken, and mm. she's got to be one of these people. I mean, there isn't there a character in the comic books or called Raven or Reven? I was have been reading about this just over the past day or so that a Sith, a, a Jedi that became a Sith that then went back to being a Jedi. Okay, I I, I mentioned this to Devin, and he mm-hmm. was very upset. He goes, "Oh no, Reven is Reven. You gotta you gotta bring Reven into it. You can't make Reva Reven, but mm-hmm. you could still you could still make her this." you know, person going out there and, and basically rescuing. And that could be, and that could be a, a serial, a serial, Mm -hmm. um, it could be an episodic show. Mm -hmm. You would, it wouldn't be a movie like Mm -hmm. this one is, it would be episodic. It would be like, you know, the equalizer or, uh, the fugitive or anything like that. Oh, the fugitive. It could be very much like the fugitive. Mm, I think you're onto something there. Okay, so very much enjoyed all six episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, I think they they did, you know, there's a part of me that still, I know it's got to be out there somewhere, the script for the feature film version of Obi-Wan. Yeah, Yeah, because again, I I I heard the original bad guy was Mm -hmm. was going to be the other Darth, the red guy. Darth Maul, yeah. That he was going to be the original one. And mm. because of Mandalorian, they mm. said, no, let's make this the biggest one. So that's why they went to, which doesn't make sense to me, because doesn't this, isn't that what Obi-Wan's all about, if him mm-hmm. and Vader? Didn't Filoni deal with Darth and Obi-Wan in an episode of Star Wars Rebels that, that I, again, I, I thought it actually had some amazing writing. Well, he did, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it was Obi-Wan, yeah, in Rebels. Not Rebels, mm-hmm. it was Obi-Wan and Maul. Right. Where right. he takes uh-huh. out Maul. And Asaka was mm-hmm. the one who finds out that Darth, and almost in the same way, too, cutting off, I mean, he's lost a lot of helmets to, mm-hmm. you know, ex-friends. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, messing up half his face where she realizes it's Anakin again. Mm -hmm. So um, she, I think she was the first person Mm -hmm. to find out that he was, except I I guess now we know that Reva knew it was Anakin too. 
<sighs> well, but it, okay. I just love it because it's 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 all falling back on itself. It's like a snake eating its, its self. It's just it all goes in the circle, and they try their best, and maybe they have to stretch it a little bit. But for the mm. most part, they they keep us continuity wise. I, I I I it doesn't upset me at all. I've loved Star Wars from day one. I love what they do. There's nothing that's bothered me. I mean, except for the the first episode of um, Boba Fett, but we can get into that later. But other, other than that, it's just, I don't know, maybe I've drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't think any of these films or TV series or anything are done for people to put their own agenda in, not even Ryan's. You know, I think what it is, is they want to make the best possible Star Wars films to continue what George did. Mm -hmm. George wanted to make a world that was acceptable, that was good versus evil, but you knew who was who, and Mm -hmm. that good would win. And that's what George wanted, and I think that's what everybody else is basically taking that mantle and continuing with it. Okay, thank you. Summed it up quite nicely there. So, and speaking of summing up, folks, uh, <laughs> this brings us to the end of another episode of Looking at Lucasfilm. If, on the other hand, you're you're enjoying, you know, Brian's insights when it comes to all things Star Wars, you know that that, that, that Brian has opinions on all sorts of things, and <laughs> you can find out about them on social media. Uh, where can folks find you in the social media sphere? Yeah, you can um, find me on um, uh, Twitter at Geek. With children, and you spell children C H I L D R N. So that's where you can find me and um, and my opinions, which my wife Ooh. makes me keep to myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I you know on, on the other hand, if you you want to see what Nancy and I are posting on Twitter, uh, you can go, head over to Twitter and Instagram. We're there under Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Uh, let's see, beyond that, I uh, want to remind you we have a couple of other podcasts here. Uh, we got Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Likewise, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. Likewise, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. That's going to do it for this week. I uh, want to thank you for listening. And uh, Brian and I will be back with a brand new show uh, in two weeks' time. Until then, take care.